Good morning. Welcome to Providence North online service. It's good to be with you today, even if it is virtually. This morning, we're going to be concluding our series that we've been calling Redeeming Rest. And my prayer for each of us is that as we continue to move forward, as we see the restrictions on our lives lifted and we all begin to venture back out into the world, my prayer is that these last few sermons would serve as almost a guide or grid lines or banks on a river that would help us and lead us as we navigate the demands put back on us and that we would seek a life that looks more like Jesus. It's a life that's aware and understands the potential pitfalls in our lives like distraction, busyness, uncertainty. A life that knows and understands the blessings and safety of the rest and life that we do find in Jesus. You see, I believe that if we are truly able to put the disciplines that we've been talking about for the last few weeks and what we're going to discuss today, if we can put these disciplines into practice, then I believe we will ourselves begin to change from the ground up. You will find yourself less busy, less hurried, less concerned about what you're missing out on, less worried about the future, and therefore less anxious. And in turn, you will find yourself actually enjoying and delighting and resting and soaking in all the goodness that God has for you right now. Now, I know this all sounds great. It sounds exciting. It sounds like something something that all of us want on a deep uh, level in our hearts. But we must ask ourselves, why is it so difficult to begin with? Why can't we just simply slow down? Why aren't we able to naturally pause and reflect and find moments of solitude and truly enjoy the things we've been given? Why is that so difficult for us? You see, I think in most cases, we actually fail to recognize just how busy and distracted we are. Or even more recently, we find ourselves in the midst of great uncertainty. And that can cause a great deal of worry and internal noiseness, if you will. Again, in most cases, we don't see it. It's just become a way of life. It's become the norm. We've allowed ourselves to believe that a life of distraction, that a life of busyness and doing our best to control everything is just the way that it is. And I think this is extremely dangerous, especially if our desire and our calling is to live the Christian life. You see, a life of busyness and distraction and worry, a life that is filled to the brim with work, activities, and social events, a life of no margin, a life that has no white space on the daily calendar, a life that is constantly distracted by the TV or the phone or social media or the news. You see, that life isn't the life that Christ intended for you. It isn't the Christian life at all. It's actually the complete opposite. It's actually antichrist. And so what do I mean by that? Let me ask you this question. When you think of the kingdom of God, what is it that God holds at the highest value? It's love. Jesus makes that crystal clear when he says that the greatest command in all of the Torah was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, followed only by love your neighbors as yourself. But the troubling part of that commandment and what we find so difficult, especially in today's age of infinite distraction and entertainment, is that love is extremely time-consuming. Think about it. If you're married or if you have children, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Loving those that are near and dear to us, loving the ones that God has placed into our lives for us to care for on a deep and intimate level is extremely time-consuming. Which means when I'm rushed or busy or even worse, when I'm distracted or worried, I find my ability to love extremely difficult. 
Now, not only is busy is a busy and distracted life dangerous and detrimental to those around you, but even more importantly, it's extremely damaging and for the relationship between you and God. During his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus once said that our hearts will naturally follow what we treasure most. And typically when we think about this, when we pray through this verse, we tend to have this idea that Jesus is talking about money and time. But in our current culture, in our time in history, our attention is arguably the most precious resource that we have. It's been said that in today's day and age, human beings have less attention span than that of a goldfish which for those of us that are watching this video means you've probably checked out a few times and you've had to jump back in because the grand total that most human beings have for an attention span is just eight seconds. That's it. And so with that in mind, do you see just how difficult it would be to live out the commandment that Jesus says is the most important commandment in all of the Torah, to love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, when we don't even have the ability to give him more than just eight seconds of our attention? Do you see how this could be so damaging to the relationship that we have between him and us? Because truthfully, the less attention that we give to God, the less aware we are of God. One author says that the chronic problem we have as human beings is that when we experience or when we say that we feel distance from God, the chronic problem isn't that God is actually the culprit of this scenario. He's not the culprit here. We are. Could it be that the problem is not an absent God, but rather we are the ones who are absent in the relationship? We get sucked into our phones. We get sucked into our TVs, our work, our social agendas, our future plans that may or may not come to pass. And we become completely oblivious to God who is around us. The God who is in us, who is with us, who is for us the God that has a deeper desire to be in relationship with us than we do with him. The Bible says that God is omnipresent, that there's no place or time where he is not. Yet so many Bible-believing Christians live with a sense of God's presence or live without a sense of God's presence around them or with them throughout the day. But the problem is, is that we give so little attention to God in our everyday moments of life that we actually lack an awareness of God. And again, the danger with this way of life is that we miss God. Despite all the activity, all the distractions, all the plans we believe bring us joy, we end up living a life that is filled with anxiousness and loneliness. And more likely than not, the day that we find ourselves on our deathbed, we'll actually look back and realize that we wasted the one chance that we had at living. That instead of living a life pursuing something that is genuinely valuable, We've instead settled for a life full of busyness and distraction that the world has to offer. There's this line in this prayer that I read recently, and I want to share it with you. Because ever since I heard this line, it's kind of haunted me. It's actually made me think through the decisions that I make on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I want to share the first line in this with, of this prayer with you. It goes like this. Days pass and years vanish and we walk sightless among miracles. Days pass and the years vanish and we walk sightless among miracles. Church, personally, I don't wanna live a life anymore that is so busy, so distracted, that I walk sightless or blind among the miracles of God. 
whether it be all the ways he's provided for me in a spouse or the children he's blessed me with or the people he's placed along my path that day or all the beauty in his creation that he's placed all around me. I no longer want to walk around blind to God's miracles that surround me every single day. And this is why we've set a time, set aside the time to walk through this series and the disciplines that come with it. We believe it's just that important to do so. We want our church to be a people that live the way of Jesus by giving the attention and time to God that he deserves. We want to be a people that are aware of his presence in and around us every single day of our lives. And we believe we can become people like this by just following a few simple disciplines and practices. So we've looked at the discipline of slowing down, the discipline of solitude and silence, and then finally today, we're going to talk about the ancient practice of Sabbath and what it looks like in our lives. And I'm very excited to talk about this discipline. It's been something my family's been practicing for a few months. And a lot of what you're going to hear today comes from a book by John Mark Comer. But when we talk about Sabbath, the word Sabbath comes to us from the Hebrew word Shabbat. The word literally means to stop. The practice of Sabbath is simply a day to stop, to stop working, to stop wanting, to stop worrying. Plain and simple, it just means to stop. And so let's open up the word together and we're going to see how Sabbath is explained in the scriptures. So we're going to start all the way back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the very first verse of the Bible, it says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then throughout the next 30 verses, it says that for six days, God was hard at work. He spoke light into existence. He created the oceans and mountains and the land that we stand on. He created plants and flowers and trees that filled the earth. He created the cosmos and put those into movement, which gives us day and night. He created every living creature that walks, crawls, swims, and flies among the earth. And then with his magnum opus, he creates man. And after six days of hard work, it says this in verse 31. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. In other words, God looked at all the things that he had created. He gave it his attention. He delighted in it. He soaked it all in, and he says, this is good. Then God continues in chapter 2. But with a change of action, rather than creating, we find God resting. Look what it says, chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. Did you catch that? God rested. On the seventh day from all his work that he had done, God rested. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rested. And so with this movement of creation and rest, God built into the DNA of human beings this sort of tempo in our lives. Work for six, rest for one. Work for six, rest for one. But yet, all too often, we find ourselves pushing back against this, pushing back against this very rhythm. We say things like, but I have a demanding job. Or I have four little kids and they're all in sports, so I don't have time to rest. My answer will always be, God did. Or I love this excuse, and I read this from another author, from someone that questioned this. They say, yeah, well, the devil never takes a day off. But the answer is, well, last time I checked, the devil loses. Plus, it's the devil. 
Now, I think it's important to note here that God did not rest because he was weary or tired, but more simply, he rested as one that was well-pleased. Point being, this rhythm isn't some new age practice from some up-and-coming author. It's the way that our creator designed our souls and for society to flourish and thrive. And when we push back against it, we actually push back against God himself. Now, as I shared earlier, the Hebrew word Shabbat literally means to stop, but it can also be translated to delight. It has this double meaning of stopping and enjoying or stopping and delighting. The Sabbath is an entire day to set aside to follow God's example to stop, delight, enjoy, and soak it all in, to delight in the creation of the world, to enjoy our lives in it, and above all, to delight in God himself. I love what Dan Allender in his book on Sabbath had to say. He says this, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it's the best day of the week. It's the day that we anticipate Wednesday through Friday and the day that we remember Sunday through Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, where we play, where we dance, where we make love and sing and pray and laugh. We tell stories, we read, we paint, we walk, we watch creation in its fullness. You see, few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it. Few are willing to make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. And all of this, this whole idea of Sabbath, is rooted and founded in the person of God. This whole idea is because God exampled this for us. God created, but then he rested, he stopped, he set aside an entire day, entire day to do what? To delight and soak in his world. That right there could be enough for us. And we could just stop right there for the day. But I want you to notice what else God did in the beginning of chapter two. It says that he blessed the seventh day. This is important. The text says that God blessed the Sabbath. That's right, God blesses a day. He is essentially, he's blessing time. But why? When we look at the story of Genesis, we see God blesses three things. First, he blesses the animals with the command to be fruitful and multiply. Then he blesses humanity in the same way. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Then on the seventh day, God blesses the Sabbath. So what this means is that the Sabbath, just like animal or man, has the capacity and capability to produce life, to multiply or make more of, to fill you and I up with life. But why would we need that? Because life is exhausting. If you're anything like me, you get to the end of the week and you wonder, where did it go? How fast that went by. What happened Monday through Friday? What did we actually do with all that time? You feel exhausted, you're worn out, you're tired mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And the Sabbath is how we fill our souls back up with life. The Sabbath produces life. It gives the ability to move forward with a more focused and attentive nature to God and his presence. And we enter a new week. Quite frankly, as one lives and practices the discipline of Sabbath and the other disciplines that we've spoken of throughout this series, they begin to live life differently each day. 
For instance, my family has been slowly but surely walking into this practice for about six months now, and we've seen it make incredible changes in our lives. Not only are we finding ourselves stopping and delighting in God's creation and presence on the Sabbath, but we've noticed ourselves making changes to our everyday lives that continue to center our hearts and our minds on God. My wife and I look out for each other. We communicate what our needs are mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and we do our best to serve each other and give each other the opportunity to take that time that's needed to commune with God, that time to set our attention on God alone. And it's been such a gift for our family and such a gift for me and my wife. But practically speaking, how do we Sabbath at the Agnew household? First, I wanna start off by saying that Sabbath is gonna look different for every family. It's gonna look different individually within those families. And also, I'd like to highly encourage you to start from where you are. And so what do I mean by that? For example, when our family first began practicing the Sabbath, we didn't try to start out with a full 24-hour Sabbath. First, we decided to just carve out three hours of our day, Sunday afternoons, which meant at 2 p.m., All the chores were done, laundry was finished, dishes were put away, we were set for the following week with school, and finally we turned off and put away all the electronics, including phones. Now we would gather around the table, we would light candles, and this is what we do, we light candles and we pray into the Sabbath. We ask God to be with us and to refresh us during this time. Now this is how it begins to look different for each of us in the family. Our three young boys, They love to be around each other. They love to be around others. So they will Sabbath by being outside. They're riding bikes. They're playing with friends. They're throwing water balloons, whatever it may be. As long as the phones or Nintendo Switch is put away and they're celebrating God's goodness together, this is how they typically choose to Sabbath. As for Danny, she loves to spend time walking with our daughter Bella along the path in the woods. She loves enjoying God's creation, listening to the birds chirp, listening to the trees bristle with the wind. She takes this time to commune with God deeply and listen to what he has to say to her. Myself, I typically take this time to literally rest. I lay down in my bed, I turn on the fan, and I just sleep. Sometimes I find myself sleeping for a full three hours, or sometimes it's just for 20 minutes, and then I'll spend the rest of the time reading outside. But as our time of Sabbath comes to an end, we generally gather around the table, we have a huge feast with a big dessert, and we pray and we thank God for all that he continues to do, and then we pile on a couch together. We all get on the couch and we watch a movie. We're all looking at the same screen, but we're together again, and this is how we end the night of Sabbath. And so as time has gone on in our lives, especially during this time of quarantine, which started, uh, what started as a three-hour Sabbath has actually moved into an entire day. And so we now celebrate Sabbath for an entire 24 hours, and it begins on Saturday night. But again, my point in all of this, and the reason I share this with you, is that Sabbath looks different for each of us, and that's okay. And sometimes Sabbath is going to be better than others. But what I want you to remember is that it's a practice. You see, my guess is this practice will continue to morph and change as our kids age, and we find ourselves in different seasons. But the main purpose for all of us in all of this is not to check a box, it's to stop, it's to delight, it's to rest in the Lord, to soak in the goodness that God has for us in our lives right now. And so church, as we finish, I wanna just remind you why we started this series in the first place. Humanity as a whole has a problem. 
we have this sinful desire to live our lives with so many things, sometimes very good things, but we often forget the best things in our lives. We're so busy and we're so distracted that we find ourselves in a constant state of anxiousness and hurry. And so with our own brilliance or lack thereof and our own strength, we try to fix the problem only to find ourselves exhausted and tired than we were before. And this is why Jesus had to say this in Matthew chapter 11. I love this, this passage. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This passage is really important for us to understand. Jesus is the Messiah. He embodies God himself, but he also is considered and spoken of as a rabbi. And I think we can all agree on that he was. He was a teacher to many. And like every rabbi in biblical times, Jesus had two things. First, he had a yoke. And a yoke was a common phrase in the first century to describe a rabbi's way of reading the Torah. But it was also more than just that. It was the rabbi's set of teaching on how to be human. It was his way to shoulder the weight of life in marriage and divorce and prayer and money and conflict. All the things of life that seemed to crush us at one point of time or another. But what made Jesus' yoke unique was that his yoke was easy. It's light. It's where you find rest. Now, the other thing that Jesus had as a rabbi was disciples, those that followed and desired to model their own lives after his. And that's the whole point for us as a church, to model our lives around and after Jesus, to find rest, to recover our souls from the hustle and bustle of this world, to experience healing in what Jesus says is to have life and have it abundantly. Church, if you find yourself constantly distracted, if you're tired, if you're worried, if you're burned out, then I want you to hear how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this invitation from Jesus in Matthew 11. He says it this way, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What a beautiful and much needed invitation. I believe we need this now more than ever. And if you're anything like me, you need this daily invitation to find rest and peace in Jesus away from all the distractions and busyness of the world. Now, I mentioned earlier in the sermon the first line in a prayer and how that line haunted me, but I want to finish the prayer for you, and I want this to be our prayer as we conclude this series. And so, if you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, the days pass and the years vanish, and we walk sightless among your miracles. We walk blind among your miracles. And so God, we're asking you this morning to fill our eyes with seeing, our minds with knowing. Let there be moments in our lives when your presence, like lightning, illuminates the darkness in which we walk. God, help us to see. 
Wherever we gaze, that the bush burns unconsumed, and we, clay, touched by you, God, will reach out for holiness and exclaim in wonder this truth. How filled with awe is this place, and we did not know it. God, we love you. We do cherish our time together with you, Lord. And so would you just give us a heart? Would we be a people that seek you now more than ever? And we would we not walk blind among your miracles, but would we be in awe of it every single day? God, we love you. It's your son's name we pray. Church, let's continue to worship.